This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio is brought to you by the IEEE Computer Society and by IEEE Software Magazine. Online at computer.org slash software. Hey, this is Jeremy Jung for Software Engineering Radio. Today I'm speaking with Sumit Kumar. Sumit is the head of engineering at ShareNow, which is previously Car2Go. He's also the creator of an open source plugin called Leaflet Geoman, which provides drawing tools for the Leaflet mapping library. I'll be speaking with Sumit about his experience working with Leaflet and how developers can build mapping applications with it. So Sumit, welcome to Software Engineering Radio. Hello, thanks for having me. So the first thing I'd like to start with is for people who aren't familiar with Leaflet, what is it and what types of projects would people build with it? So Leaflet is basically a mapping library, a JavaScript library for mobile-friendly interactive maps. That's how they say it. And basically, if you want a map and um, you don't want to use Google Maps, for example, for whatever reason, Leaflet is basically an open source alternative to to Google Maps and other mapping providers. Uh, of course, you still need the map itself. So basically the images of, of a map where you can have OpenStreetMap or any other provider. But with Leaflet, you can, if I would have to describe it, you basically create the layers on top of the map. So that means polygons, markers, points of interest to show any data that you might have and to zoom around the map and stuff like this. So it's it's the library around the map itself and um, gives developers really, really good tools to do their own mapping solutions. And uh, you're mentioning if you didn't want to use Google Maps for whatever reason, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Google Maps. What are kind of mm-hmm. some of the main reasons you might not choose it? So in big corporations, for example, a lot of companies don't want to be tied in. So there are licensing reasons. There are, um, especially in Germany or in Europe, there are data protection reasons. There is simply a stigma attached to Google in that sense. Then there are, Google uses a custom format for their uh, geodata. And Leaflet you can use with an open standard called GeoJSON. You can use it with Google too, as far as I know, but it's it's uh, it basically will transform everything to the Google proprietary format. And of course, it's much more expensive. Uh, that is also a reason, especially for startups or individual developers with side projects. If they have a, a big volume, if they expect a bigger traffic, then Google Maps is quite expensive. Mm. And um, you were talking about how even though Leaflet exists to kind of provide maps, you still need a source for those maps. So what are some examples of sources people would use? Yeah, that's a good question. So normally people use uh, OpenStreetMap, which is free to use. But I'm being quite honest, I think the Google Street Map maps are not very pretty. So all the projects that I do, even if it's open source, I use Mapbox in that sense. Mapbox is a company that I would say is built on top of Leaflet. I think last time I checked, even the maintainers or the core maintainers of Leaflet work at Mapbox. So the company grew out of Leaflet from my understanding and it's highly compatible with Leaflet and they provide beautiful maps. This is not free. 
So I pay myself for great maps in the background to use even for my open source projects. But you can use basically any provider you want. So there is also here maps. It's a European provider. There is uh, Google Maps, of course, you can use that. I'm not entirely sure about Apple Maps, if you can use that with Leaflet, but any provider where you have, where you can fetch the tiles is what it's called, you can implement it in, into Leaflet. And Leaflet is a, a mapping tool. That means it's not about only about like satellite maps or street maps. You can also use indoor maps. You can use a map of the moon or Mars. Um, you can use maps of video games or Game of Thrones, like it doesn't matter at the end. So any image that you that you can take from an area can be a map. And this could be even a photo or a, um, a blue, what, what's it called in English, you know, a, a map of your house. Mm. Uh, you can even use that as a digital map and create whatever you need on top of it. Mm -hmm. And in that case, would it be... Like you just have a JPEG or like, you know, a, a static image and then you kind of reference that so someone's able to, to click around that. Um, so I've never done a tile layer myself, honestly. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I've seen an application built with, um, with the library that I, I maintain. And this is a SaaS application for construction sites. So they fly a drone on top of the construction site, take um, some HD photo of it or even 4K, I'm not entirely sure. And then they um, create a map out of it that they then draw on top of on the construction site, which is really interesting. And as far as I know, it's, it's quite easy for them to, to make a tile layer out of it. The biggest problem with a tile layer is always zooming in and out of the map. So you need different distances basically and uh, of course the file size. So if you do an HD photo and you, you open the map and it has to load multiple HD photos, this creates quite some load and is slow for the user. So this optimization is the hardest part. but. Other than that, if you research how to how to do that, I'm pretty sure there are tools for that that make it quite easy. And when you talk about tiles for a map, is it where you're starting with like a really high resolution image and then you're you're cutting it into a bunch of pieces so that as the person zooms around the map, they're they're not having to load that entire image? It's optimized for exactly this. So it loads as many tiles that are visible on screen. So if you zoom in, then it only only loads the tiles that are visible. These are usually, I would say, six images or so, and they should be quite uh, quite optimized in size. If you have a huge image with that that covers a big area, if you zoom out, then instead of loading one thousand tiles, you load only six tiles that show simply more more area, but in less detail. So. The, the load for the user is basically always the same, doesn't matter which which zoom level. And you start with a high resolution image and then cut it down. Mm -hmm. But again, I've never done it myself, so I'm not 100% uh, sure on that. Sure. When people talk about map sources, sometimes they talk about raster tiles and sometimes they talk about vector data. 
What's kind of the main difference between the two and when would you use each? Uh, vector data uh, itself, you can think, if you're a front-end developer, you can think of it like an SVG. So it's an image versus an SVG. An image has a fixed dimension with an height and um, if you zoom in, the quality gets lower. <laughs> I can't. Uh, so the quality gets uh, gets lower a bit if you zoom in. And um, it, with an SVG, it's kind of rendered by the browser, uh, so it has infinite scalability in, in a sense. And with vector maps, it's kind of the same. I'm not sure if that is a bit of a stretch to mapping experts, but the good thing for me, if I use vector maps, you can zoom in and out very fluently. There are oftentimes not particular steps uh, to the next image, but it's a smooth transition. And especially if you use something like canvas mode in Leaflet, it's, it's, a, it's a much smoother experience for the user, but these are not individual images anymore. So I'm not talking necessarily about the tiles right now, but about the layers you put on top. So let's say you have markers of Tesla superchargers, for example, and you put them on the map. These can be individual DOM elements. And if you have 6,000 of them, it creates a lot of load for the for the browser. But if you have something like canvas mode, it's drawn inside one element and everything is smooth and performant again. Um, you have the downside of you cannot interact with the DOM elements individually, of course. But I might getting a bit out of out of your question right now because um, vector maps itself can be if you refer to tiles, there might be even some additional advantages that, that I'm not sure yet. What I do know is that Uber, for example, created their own library also on top of open source products. I think it was on top of Mapbox and they use only, only vector tiles like this because they have huge data needs and uh, they need very performant maps. And if you use leaflet only, like just out of the box, how it's coming and you have big, big, big data, then you might get into performance problems. Problems that I have myself, but not yet uh, solved in particular apps that I built. Hmm. And when you're talking about like these big sets of data, is this like the mapping data in terms of things like, you know, streets and locations, or is this more of overlaid on top of that? That's definitely overlays on top of that. So okay. I can do some examples. I, as you as you said, I'm working in the mobility sector, car sharing company. Uh, that's also how I got into Leaflet six, seven years ago, uh, because they needed a geospatial data management tool, basically that I've built. And the data that they use are, you know, points of interest, uh, electric charging uh, stations. We have uh, parking zones drop zones for the cars, we separate the, the city into polygons to track demand in specific areas, of course. And then you have other companies like Maersk, which is a log logistics company. They have zones where the ships drive and stop off uh, the harbors uh, itself. You have Tesla, for example, has that supercharger stations, which is small data compared to that. And ridiculously, detailed data, like if we are talking autonomous vehicles, then you need data like, you know, you separate the road into different lanes, for example, one goes in one direction, the other one in the other direction. You have parking spots and this for a whole city or a whole country. This is data that is so big and so much your browser will just crash if you try to 
display it and leave flat alone. And so to start, like the very simplest case, if someone is trying to put on a list of parking locations or mm -hmm. superchargers, things like that, um, what does the API look like that for Leaflet? Are people calling functions that are adding these one by one, or is it syncing to a collection? Like, what does that look like? Uh, so there are multiple options in Leaflet, uh, which is quite cool. So normally what I do is I try to use the data always in GeoJSON. So I store it maybe in a different format, but in general, my the APIs I built around Leaflet use GeoJSON normally. And Leaflet, you can add GeoJSON simply. Uh, so there is a, a GeoJSON method where you just put in the data and it displays it on the map. You can also create your own shapes. That means a circle marker, a circle, a polygon, a line, you know, a marker, all, all these kind of functions they have. Then you basically give it the coordinates and it creates the, the shape on the map. Uh, with GeoJSON, it's kind of a wrapper for everything. So if you provided a GeoJSON, it can be markers, can be polygons, can be lines, and the leaflet will just add everything. It depends on your needs or your source of data that you have. And particularly with my library where I create the shapes so the user can draw the shapes, uh, him or herself, um, I need all of those functions, basically. And um, you were saying that GeoJSON um, is a good option for kind of storing the locations of different things, storing shapes and things like that. How about for data that kind of changes often? Like you were saying, if you have a car sharing application, you might have live locations of where cars are, just mm -hmm. as an example. Would GeoJSON be suitable for something like that? So I'm sure there are people that disagree with me. I had discussions actually with developers from Uber and also some, let's say, mapping experts from, from other companies. And the opinions vary. I can only speak for myself. Even though JSON or GeoJSON might, might not be the most efficient storing format uh, out there, it's basically a standard in, in, in modern APIs to use JSON or GeoJSON as, a, as the format to exchange data. And I like to have not a lot of transformations with my data. So I store it as much as I can in GeoJSON. It works fine for me. I don't have any restrictions or downsides for that currently. Granted, I don't build applications on the scale of Uber. But Uber also told me they um, they store it in GeoJSON. They don't have a problem with it either. They like to use open standards, and um, I agree with that. And w if we are talking live data, it doesn't matter how how frequent the location, for example, of a marker is updated. Let's say every half a second you update the location of a moving car, you simply store the two coordinates into it and you can build it as a, you store the entire GeoJSON again, or you store only the changed coordinate, really a subset of the actual data. It doesn't matter how you build it, it's so small in comparison that it will only make a difference if you have, I don't know, if you update a thousand or a million entries all at the same time then of course your network is going to slow down a little bit. But this has nothing really to do with GeoJSON or JSON. This is any data. If you have so much data updates, you should look at something like a message queue, like RabbitMQ or Kafka or something like this. 
but if you're doing it just over REST API, I would personally batch, batch the request. So every second or every two seconds, I would update all the entries that have been changed, if we are talking about a front end or something, and batch everything together. So to, to make sure I understand correctly, if you were getting the locations of cars uh, and you queried the backend API, you would get a GeoJSON file, which is just basically just a regular JSON file that has a bunch of elements that might have, say, the latitude and longitude of each car. And as you got updates, like you were saying, like maybe you get an update every second or every few seconds, you would receive new GeoJSON files from the server and it would just have the elements that had changed or, or new elements? So there are two different points in an, in an let's say, an application stack um, where you have these updates. The first one is the car sends an update to your backend. Mm-hmm. And if we are talking about our company, for example, ShareNow or companies that use my open source product, these might be, for example, 10,000 cars always connected to some sort of backend. And they send their location uh, maybe every second, for example. Um, let's say you have a network hiccup and they all reconnect uh, at the same time. You have a huge spike because 10,000 cars send their location at once. And this is an area where you, where we at least make the experience don't use just HTTP, use a, use a message queue um, mm-hmm. so we can handle all of that data. Because the cars do not only send their location, they also send, is the window down, is it up, motor start, motor stop event. So everything that happens in a car, connected car, is sent to a server. And these can be multiple events per second. If we're talking 10,000, 100,000 vehicles or scooters or whatever it is, this load should be handled by a message queue like Kafka or RabbitMQ. Once it's in the backend and you just want, just in quotation marks, want to display it on a front end, then we we are talking a different story here because a front end doesn't have a message queue like this. We can use, if you want to do it really in a real-time sense, you can use WebSockets, which is, um, yeah, you send incremental updates as they come in uh, to the front end and uh, change your data. Um, and this can be just basically an ID and a new latitude and longitude, and you connect the data in the front end. It can be a new JSON. It's completely dependent on how you build it. I normally send some metadata with the JSON. That is, for example, a name of the license plate, a name of the car, uh, maybe the, the model, you know, is this a Mercedes or a BMW or whatever, and maybe even some other data. Depending on the project, depending on the data that you get, there is maybe a lot of metadata involved, then I don't send the entire JSON. Then I just send the, the updated information. But if you are not using a WebSocket, if you're using HTTP, then there is no push from the server. The browser has to fetch updated information. So in this case, what I would do is, let's say I display Berlin on a map and we have I'm, I'm just talk, taking as an example Chanel and Car2Go here. Uh, of course, can be applied to any company out there. Uh, if we are talking 2,000 cars, for example, and I want to show them in real time, I will simply fetch uh, the list of all the cars um, every second or every two seconds. So there is no push or anything. Mm-hmm. I will just do a fetch 
simple uh, interval request. And so you're doing this this fetch on this interval, and is it taking into account what it chooses to display? It's just taking that entire document and showing everything that you're sending, or is it performing some kind of a diff comparing the elements you already had and the new elements? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So I do a diff, but it it depends on the project. So I, I'm building a little uh, SaaS product around mapping, um, yeah, uh, geo management basically. And there I use diffs out of, yeah, I did the mistake of not, not diffing. And the reason is if you, if you redraw the layers on a map, it, it's a lot of performance overhead. And if you do this every second and currently you are maybe creating another layer on the map, you are interacting with the map in some other way, this, this is a performance problem also. The map constantly re-renders basically your data. And... Um, the, the map simply gets laggy, right? And if you want to do anything else on the map, uh, it gets sluggy and it's not a good performance. So I use diffing that if out of 2,000 cars, only two move, then they will get updated and the rest is just thrown away. Mm -hmm. yeah. And internally, so when you're talking about using this diff, does that mean on the leaflet side or on the JavaScript side, you have this GeoJSON document and then you're updating that GeoJSON document and leaflet just figures out that, you know, only those two elements changed and it doesn't touch the rest of the page. Yeah, that would be great. But sadly, as far as I know, it's not, it's not like that. So you give leaflet something to draw and they will draw it. So I do the diff uh, basically on the business application uh, side, uh, on the business logic side. I do this myself. I'm diffing when I get the payload basically to the to the payload that is already there with standard, I guess, um, low dash, uh, do, a, do a comparison, remove everything else. And then I have to remove the layers first that are currently in, in Leaflet and then I feed them the new ones. And I also have my own IDs associated with everything so I can, you know, compare also individual shapes on the map or layers on the map. Leaflet has itself also IDs that they create when you add something to the map, but I, they are not consistent. So if you put, if you add a marker to the map, it has an ID. If you want to add the same marker to the map again with a different location, it gets a different ID. You can get the current one on the map and update that one. That is also possible. But then you would have to buy in completely into the leaflet logic, including the IDs and how to handle everything. And I like to have this separate. I like to have leaflet just as a, let's say, as a dumb drawing tool and not as the source of truth for my IDs and uh, IDs and business logic and all of that. So I do this outside. I do the diffing outside. I do the storing to the database outside. And leaflet is just like a component. I feed it data. It draws it. And that's, that's about it. Mm. So in the case of situations where you have live data and you have a lot of data changing, uh, it sounds like you actually aren't using GeoJSON in that case. You're actually, you have um, your own collection outside of Leaflet and you're using that along with your own diffing to determine which elements you should find inside of Leaflet based off of a key and then moving just the ones that you found that have changed. 
No, so it's actually, it's, it's GeoJSON. It's all GeoJSON that I store if I, for example, the SAS tool that I built has an API where you can fetch the layers that are displayed on the map mm-hmm. um, from an API. And this is all GeoJSON. And internally, I only use GeoJSON. Mm. That means, um, so if you put it into Leaflet, internally in Leaflet, it's also transformed to something else, of course. Mm-hmm. But the map, you can just say, okay, give me these layers and make them GeoJSON, basically. And then this is how my whole application uses it. But GeoJSON has um, a properties block. And in there, you can add all the metadata you want. So in there, I have the IDs that that are basically the reference to my database. In there, I have uh, maybe a gravitational center of, of a specific polygon, for example. Um, I have descriptions, names, anything the user would like to see. I store in the properties property of GeoJSON and uh, and use that uh, everywhere. So it's still all GeoJSON. Mm, you have, let's say, a single GeoJSON document for all of your car locations. And if you go inside that GeoJSON, find the key of a car that you want to move, you can update the uh, location through the GeoJSON. Yeah. And- um, so yeah, that's actually a, a pretty good question. And this depends a bit on the application uh, that that you're building. So GeoJSON allows you to group layers together. That means if you have one polygon, cool, you can have that. If you have two or three or a hundred, you can group them in what's called a feature collection. And uh, you can store it this way. That's completely fine. And then you have big payloads, but you have to get into the GeoJSON and like get the specifics out of it. In the SAS application, I have this use case to count and limit the layers that a user can draw on a map. And this means I want this to be separate database entries. So I can a user can also choose to share one layer versus the other with the public or with a colleague or whatever. Um, and to have this granular permission system, kind of, I need this to be separate database entries. And that means each layer on the map is for me personally a different GeoJSON. But again, this this is highly uh, um, customized to my use case. I, I'm sure there are users out there, for example, if they fetch my data from GeoJSON through the API, they would not like to have uh, a thousand different GeoJSONs in an array for or a collection for all the markers. They would just like to have one big GeoJSON file that uh, that owns all of the data. This is easy to do. Like you can just combine them. That's 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 fine. And I will do this on the API level. But uh, for my use case, I store them separately. Mm, okay. So when we're talking about GeoJSON, in a lot of cases, you actually choose to have a separate GeoJSON document for each marker or each thing that you're going to put onto the map. Exactly. Okay. Cool. So. We were kind of talking about how you know you're bringing in data on the back end, and then you're bringing it in as GeoJSON uh, on the front end. Is the GeoJSON is that something that you're converting at the API level, or are you actually storing your data as GeoJSON on the back end as well? So yeah, this is the embarrassing part of the application, especially when you uh, yeah when you start out um, and. I mean, I've, I'm building this this application for a long time, but there is tech depth, of course, and that is one thing. So what got me up fast, uh, I use Firebase as a data storage uh, mm. or Firestore, it's called. And 
this this helps me to to simply you know ramp up an application quite fast and i still use it even after mon many months i think a year now that i'm building this application and in there you have a limitation of how you the documents how you store it the document format is limited so i cannot have nested arrays but geojson has quite a lot of nested arrays especially if you have multi-polygons that means multiple polygons belonging to one layer acting as one layer basically with holes in it for example this these are multiple uh, levels of, of nested arrays you can't just store this in firestore you have to store it as a json string so basically what this mean what this means is i store my geojson as as strings currently That means on a database level, I can't do any queries. A anything I do with the data, I first fetch it via um, cloud functions or a node, a node script or whatever. I fetch the data first, then I do the calculations on top of it. For example, is a point inside this GeoJSON or is are these um, polygons near the user or whatever. I do all the calculations and then I, I serve the data uh, as GeoJSON, of course. So. I store it as GeoJSON in a sense, but it's a string. And if I would have to do it again, or if I look into the roadmap for the future, I would probably go to something like MongoDB, where you can, I'm not sure if it's like native GeoJSON support, but the important part is that if you build an application that basically does a lot of, of geo queries and stuff like this, uh, if it's made to handle geospatial data, use a database that can do geo queries on a database level. That means I give I give the database a, a coordinate like whatever, um, my location and and do a query like give me all polygons that where this point is inside the polygon. This is something if you can do this on a database level, this adds a lot of performance uh, because otherwise if we are talking thousands or millions of, of layers, you have to fetch everything and calculate this on your back end, on the backend side and this is expensive mm -hmm. so i would go to um, to a database that allows geo queries mm -hmm. firebase says they have this they have this in a very very limited format i asked this on stack overflow i i saw the question yesterday again i asked this about two years ago 2016 and back then they answered that they haven't exposed their geo queries yet And they still haven't so mm -hmm. i'm not sure when they come out with it but uh, if i need it i will switch databases i will mm -hmm. not wait for that and if i would start over i would choose a database beforehand that that um, allows me to do that mm -hmm. and for your work at share now how are you storing the the geodata there i have not touched this particular product in quite a while but back then when when we built it it was geojson but we stored, we used MongoDB. And I'm not entirely sure if you can simply, without any transformation, store GeoJSON in MongoDB, but MongoDB has GeoQueries. So uh, I know I know that much, but mm -hmm. I can't tell you right now on out off the top of my head if you have to transform it, or if, if MongoDB, for example, accepts GeoJSON but trans transforms it internally. That I don't know. And, um, you know, we're kind of talking about how You can have an application with a lot of data, but depending on where the user is looking on the map, they don't necessarily need to bring in all that data at once. What are kind of the strategies used to, to deal with that? 
That is a good one. So what geoqueries often allow you to do is, if, if I look on a map, you can define the borders by basically the, the top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right corners of your screen. So if I have a map on my screen, I can say, or leaflet and any mapping library can basically give you the boundaries that you are currently looking at. And these are the, these four coordinates. And if your database supports geoqueries, you can basically say, give me all layers that, that are inside this, these boundaries. And then you can just fetch that data. This is how I would do it from the top of my head. Honestly, I've not built it like this uh, because I've not had to deal with those big kind of data sets. And there might be um, downsides to this if the user, for example, moves the map. How many how many queries do you do then? You know, mm -hmm. you have a moving target basically. But I'm sure there are ways to solve this. So this this would be my first clue on on how to achieve this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in terms of when you're working on a leaflet application, do you have any experience integrating a leaflet map with other frameworks like say React or Vue mm -hmm. or something like that? Very good question. I get this uh, quite often uh, on the open source library as well. And with with mapping libraries like Leaflet, you are basically back to, to the roots of HTML and JavaScript where you interact with the DOM elements directly. And with the introduction of frameworks like Angular and React and now Vue, we kind of moved past this. Like the, this, these are all abstractions to the DOM element. We don't we don't uh, say create this diff and create this diff. Uh, we don't do this anymore, kind of. But with um, Leaflet, you still at least a little bit have to do this in the sense that, for example, you um, tell it the diff that it should render in and you call uh, specific elements directly sometimes through the leaflet API, of course, but it's, it doesn't have this reactive nature like our frameworks today do. So what happens is that there are a lot of um, abstractions to mapping libraries. So there is leaflet react or react leaflet, view leaflet, all these abstractions to use the mapping library in the same reactive way in the same thinking mode of the framework which which is good for anyone that is starting out i personally like to use it bare bones so i like to interact with leaflet directly with the with the api it provides i have full control over it maybe i'm an advanced user uh, in in a sense uh, could be but the abstractions that are out there they limit me because I always have to go through that. I always, if there is a new feature or an edge case I want to tackle or something, I always need the buy-in of the maintainer of that abstraction. And this is something I, I don't do. Sometimes I build my own abstraction, but uh, normally I basically build a component in Vue, and it doesn't matter if it's React or Angular or Vue, I build a component that owns the map itself, and I put as a property, I put the um, GeoJSON in there, for example, and the component does all the all the rest. Maybe the diffing, even the rendering, the updating, the watching of the properties. But you have to build your watchers yourself and and stuff like this. So it's just out of context normally. And this, yeah, not every developer is is comfortable with this, especially if you start programming and you started in the world with React in the world of React. So you're not used to this barebone coding, but 
if you if you use other libraries that are that are interacting with the DOM elements directly, then it helps. You know, it's a good exercise to to connect these two worlds. Uh, another another use case might be where you could use your skill sets uh, in this sense are charting libraries. So if you if you display charts, for example, on a dashboard, it's the same same topic there. So basically, like you recommend keeping your framework code basically separate from your interactions with Leaflet. Like you'll use Leaflet's built-in APIs, not use a wrapper, just because you want to make sure you have full control and, and not be limited by exactly. that Exactly. And if there is a new, you know, a new version of Leaflet coming out, I want to use it immediately. It's probably have some some updates that I want to want to put in. And again, I like I have the feeling I can control the user experience much, much better if I can interact with Leaflet directly through the APIs. So it's not I, I wouldn't necessarily say I would recommend it. It's the way how I do it. And I think you have if you build an advanced, a big application, I think you are better off um, using the Leaflet uh, APIs directly. If you just want to display a map and maybe a marker on top of it, for example, to show the location of your business on your business website, then it's totally fine to use a wrapper, right? That's that's easy. Um, you will have it done in less than an hour and uh, that's it. But if you build a big application to handle geospatial data, then it's a different story. And there I would say um, remove the abstraction and go directly with the library. And for these components that are from you know your framework, do those end up rendering kind of surrounding the map? Like you would have a sidebar or a top bar or something like that? Uh, yeah, also also a good question. So on Geoman, I use it. So this this SaaS product is also the demo website basically for the, for the open source library and it's called Geoman. And there I have a map component, as I said, and uh, it, it's basically full screen. From the DOM side, of course, I have stuff around it. I have the header, I have a sidebar in a sense and a footer and whatnot um, but with css you know i just display it differently so in, the map is for me always front and center it's the biggest element and it should be basically like google maps it should be the one big background thing and uh, the header and the sidebar are just like on top of the map and you can build this in in different ways like you could even add this to leaflet if you would do everything in leaflet you could even Add your sidebar as a map element on the map and this but I don't do this I have the map container and I just overlay my my other DOM elements on top of the map so I want to keep this really separate the, the, the map itself the map component is definitely one separate component for me that I um, that I interact with because of login again. Let's say I want to change mapping providers at one point. Instead of changing one component, I would have to change, I don't know, the whole application. So I try to keep this as separate as possible. So you, you basically, if you were to look at the HTML, the, the DOM nodes that have kind of all your controls or your sidebars, things like that, they would be completely independent. The leaflet DOM node, but you use CSS um, maybe with like a fixed position or something to appear on top of the map. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's true. I would do one exception though. I, I built an open source library, as you mentioned, uh, for drawing basically layers on the map, markers, lines, whatever. These buttons, 
they I add them to Leaflet. So because it's a Leaflet plugin. So that means any user of Leaflet that wants to use my plugin just uh, imports it and it adds these buttons to the Leaflet map. So there I, I basically use the Leaflet framework to display this. But anything else, like for example, an address search, a list of the layers that is currently on there, an export button for downloading the GeoJSON, um, changing the tiles from street view to satellite view, this kind of stuff you can all add to the map and a lot of people do that. But I personally keep this out of, out of the map. Uh, I have to separately, again, because I, in my SAS application, I would like to have more control over the user experience. And maybe, you know, I have something like a paywall in front of it or an upsell button, or I, I need to limit this based on user permissions. And I simply feel more comfortable doing this in the framework like view instead of leaflet itself. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you were talking about how you, you built a plugin. Can you sort of talk a little bit about what sort of things make sense to be built as plugins mm -hmm. versus built outside of them? Yeah, also very good question. I thought of that as well. Um, sometimes my thoughts went to, you know, if you have a like the stuff I just mentioned, an address search and a list of layers and stuff like this. I thought about, hmm, what if everything of that is a plugin for Leaflet? I could open source everything. I just add everything modular to Leaflet. Could be a way. Again, this is then very like it's a big login, of course, into the Leaflet ecosystem. So this is all possible, and there are plugins. I think for for all of that, there are plugins for your for your address search. There are plugins to switch tiles, uh, plugins to draw, to export data. For all of that, there are plugins already, and they add this to the Leaflet map. Again, I think if you have a a use case of just having a small map showing some small stuff, or you want to create an MVP, it's completely an MVP, meaning a small app that can do something where yeah, it's not a product that you might sell um, to someone. You can do all of that and it's it will be completely sufficient and it's probably less work to just use a plugin to add this to the map. But um, if you have a product and you know you want to create you, you want to control the design aspects of it a lot and maybe animations and stuff like this, I think for every developer, it's more convenient to not fiddle in leaflet code for that. Leaflet has its own CSS also, so you have to override this or compete with it over over the style sometimes here and there. And um, keeping it out of it just means the data that is displayed and synced between these components has to flow through somewhere. And if you build a big application, you probably have an application state, uh, state somewhere like in React, what is it called? Uh, Redux, for example, a Redux store mm -hmm. where you where you have your data store um, on the front end. And if you use this as your source of truth, you can use it for all the components that you display on top of the map that are not inside Leaflet. Um, and it's much easier using that ecosystem than recreating everything in Leaflet. Because if you do that, you basically don't need a framework anymore. You build everything in, in the Leaflet uh, library and you interact with the DOM again directly. So the abstraction that we mentioned before, you would have to build this for basically everything, right? And there is no reactive thing anymore from, like you don't get the benefit from React anymore if you if you add everything directly in, in Leaflet. If you look at the Leaflet website, there's like a, a long list of plugins. 
Is there a set of plugins that you typically use when you know you're building a leaflet application? No, somehow I'm kind of ignorant uh, in, in that sense. No, not even the address geocoding thing. Uh, I also built this on my own. There are many, many, many good plugins there, uh, honestly. And what I can tell you is there are plugins that we use at, at ShareNow or Car2Go. And there are plugins that I constantly see people use together with the library that I'm providing. And these are something like, what's it called? A, a marker grouping tool. It's mm. clustering. clustering. Yes, thank you. Marker cluster is a plugin that is used a lot. And we use this as well. Um, so it, as the name implies, it, it clusters the markers when you zoom out. So you don't have t 10 million markers on a map, but it clusters them together. It's also good per for performance, but also for uh, usability. So this is something that is used a lot. And uh, then, of course, everything that creates heat maps and data visualization are also used a lot, I at least from, you know, the circle of, of, of open source maintainers or open source users that, that I'm um, that I'm interacting with a lot. But honestly, if you are using Leaflet, look at the plugin library, see what is there before you build it yourself. Try the plugin and see if it fits your needs, because, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, for me, this might be a bit of a sickness and uh, it's fun to recreate the wheel for me. But of course, it's a waste of time if you have if you have it already there. Yeah. Another thing I'd like to ask is, you know, when we talk about displaying things on the map, we were talking about cars earlier, and you're saying you display them in the form of markers. Uh, a lot of times applications want to show information that's associated with those markers, whether that's a, a label on the map or, or something else like that. How do you typically approach that, keep all, all that information grouped together and keep it updated? So I saw I saw different different implementations. Uh, you can, as always, the, the metadata that you store with your layers. You can choose to have them its own entity outside of the GeoJSON, or you add it to GeoJSON. So the question is: is the is the marker itself your source data, your your main entity? That means do you do you associate the style for a marker? with the marker or do you store the style separate and store the ID of the marker in the style? That is that is basically an architecture question that you have to solve. A, a, a more, an example that might be, that resonates maybe more with, with everyone is we have cars, right? So we have cars and the cars have metadata like license plate, which tires they have, which SIM cards they use. You know, they have all this, a lot of data, much more than the geodata. Um, so is the location of the car just the property of the car or is everything else from the car metadata of my of my location data? And this is a, a distinction you have to decide on your own how your complete architecture landscape and ecosystem looks like. For me, I decided many times that the location data is the source of truth, let's say, and I put a lot of metadata in. Uh, that is because if if everything the user does and everything my API does resolves around the location data, um, I can just as well use that as my main source of truth. So if we go back to styling, uh, styling in particular, I would store as metadata. So you have a marker and it, it should resemble a car. So I want a different icon. 
I maybe want a direction. If we are talking apps like Uber, for example, you see the direction the car is heading. So uh, I might have a, a degree so I can I know how to turn the icon on the map. I need a color and maybe I want to display the, the lane that the car was driving, you know, the route. Uh, so I want to display that and all of this data I store as metadata. And if the user changes it, I change it in the metadata of that marker. That means if any team is fetching the data from the API, they have also the information how to display it. And this is this was for me and for us also very important to do. So styling, I would definitely recommend storing this with the geodata as metadata with everything else like the fuel level of the car. That's um, that decision you have to do on your own architecture wise. And um, if you wanted to make a customizable user interface in terms of somebody chose they wanted to see what's the speed of the car or something like that, and they want to be able to turn it off and on, you would store what the user chose in the same place? What the, what the user chose in the sense of, okay, I want to see the fuel level, I want to see the, the license plate. Right, okay. if, yeah. the, if they want to be able to turn it yeah. on and off. So um, that that is a big use case. I think that's the use case for everyone that displays markers. Uh, let's let's use Tesla superchargers for example. You have the location of the supercharger, and and if you click on one, you have the address, the exact location, how many are there, how many are currently free, blah blah blah. All of all of this data. Like, is you can you can you eat there? Um, are there restrooms, etc. So. Tesla, uh, they don't give you the data as GeoJSON. They give you a collection of superchargers, basically an array with objects, and just the location of the supercharger is a GeoJSON. That means you have a big collection of, of JSON data, and a subset property of each entry is a GeoJSON. That is also how we do it at uh, Car2Go and, um, and ShareNow. So, yeah. GeoJSON is, is just a part of a bigger uh, data set. But in Geoman, for example, I reversed that. I use GeoJSON as the main source and have basically most of the data as metadata inside the GeoJSON. It doesn't make a big difference to anyone. It's just a preference of how you, how you manage your data. And again, what is your main entity? Is your entity a car that has a location property? Or is your main entity a marker and a car, being a car is just a property of that marker could also be a plane or a user so because i built an application where everything revolves around location data i chose the location is the is my main entity and that is the geojson and the fact that it's a car it's just a metadata a property of it um, with a specific icon basically like you know my application doesn't care if it's a plane or a car at the end of the day cool i guess another thing i'd like to ask about is when people use maps a lot of times they're on their phones yeah. as well as just being on the desktop um, what's your approach or what are things to watch out for when building a site that needs to work on both desktop and yeah, mobile? Very tricky, uh, very tricky. So uh, two things, um, if you just want to display it. Uh, so again, the use case of you have your you have a location of a business or something that you would like to display. Uh, 
that is no problem at all. Leaflet is very mobile friendly and um, if you just display the marker, the user can zoom in and out, can, can easily scroll through. So if your thumb goes on the map and you scroll, you might have seen this with Google Maps, right? In Google Maps to zoom uh, or to move the map, you need to use two fingers. They do that so you can easily scroll through the website without, um, you know, that your scrolling is interrupted by your moving the map instead. Um, so these kind of functionality to, to make it mobile friendly is there in all of these libraries. So this is an easy thing. You don't have to do anything. It just works out of the box. But if you create more advanced interactions with a map, like for example, a user should be able to draw a polygon, then it gets more trickier. And Geoman and also my library, Leaflet Geoman, they both work on mobile. I think that is also one reason why it's getting quite popular because uh, from my research, it's the only drawing tool that works on mobile. But if you use your thumb, it gets, and in your small screen, it gets less precise, your drawings. So I have features like pinning. That means if you click near a different marker, it just snaps them together so it assumes you want to have you want to place them on top of each other that's a really cool use case especially on desktop where you can easily move the markers but on mobile it's not that easy so i personally think it's possible but it's it's not a good way to do that except for let's say you have an ipad pro with a pen then it's really cool then i, I was really impressed when i used my own library for the first time on an ipad pro with a pen because then you can draw really precisely. It's a lot of fun. It's easy to do. Um, that's really cool. So if you have advanced interactions with mobile, then you will get into situations with um, click, uh, click events and stuff like this, where it gets maybe a little bit more tricky and use cases where you hover the mouse over the map and you display things or you um, give the user a hint of what will happen when they click. You can't do this on mobile. So it's a it's a much it's a, it's a basically a different experience and in a sense a limited functionality if we are talking about drawing. So this you you should keep in mind. If it's strictly about displaying mm -hmm. data, you you will not have a problem. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the I guess the UI, like it may need to be significantly different, right, between desktop and. Uh, mobile, do you effectively kind of hide a lot of UI elements or kind of build to, you know, components depending on what size uh, the viewport is? Yeah, of course. So in Geoman, I use the, the sidebar, for example, right? If you display it on mobile, you, you don't see the map anymore. And uh, it, it's just a lot of data. So the more data you show and the more metadata you want to display, the trickier it gets how to display this um, on mobile. And the map should be front and center, uh, especially on a on a tool that, that revolves around that. So that means if you open Geoman IO on, on, on your on your phone, you only see the map and you have a small icon on top that that moves in the sidebar, for example. Um, it's still not perfect. I think it's a limited use case also my particular app to use this on mobile. But of course, you have the same problem with any website that displays a lot of data. You have to hide some. You might have to basically also reduce some data, like some data you just don't need on mobile. Um, you will reduce maybe the table columns, you know, stuff like this to make 
to make it as easy as possible for the user on mobile and they can still open a desktop view if they want to on mobile but it's such a limited use case i think that um, as long as it looks good and it has the basic information i think everyone is fine if you go into advanced mode then a desktop might be or a tablet uh, might be the way to go for the user yeah we've been talking about geoman and you've mentioned that you have a leaflet plugin called geoman leaflet can you kind of go into a little bit about what geoman is and why you decided to create geoman leaflet yeah yeah uh, sure so geoman just so you know it's not a superhero or something like this it it, it derived from geo management and I just noticed later that it sounds like some sort of superhero. Uh, anyway, I um, so I have a quite, let's say, experience now in solving this for companies and seeing the problems inside companies. Um, and this not only in the mobility space, this ranges to, uh, to communication providers, to, again, construction sites and logistics companies and everyone that has geospatial data. And they mostly have two uh, there are two categories, I would say, that I'm trying to help. One is they have their own application. They have their own team that works on this or multiple teams. And they um, use open source products or paid products. Um, and they, use, they, they need more functionality. So they probably use my open source library if they use Leaflet for creating data. And the open source library basically helps you create and edit this kind of data. So you need to create a polygon. Um, you can create this, of course, by just providing the, the coordinates, if you notice. But if you have a user and he needs to, for example, create a polygon around a building or around a block or a city or whatever, my library is there to help them just, you know, easily create these polygons on the map. They can create markers, circles, uh, rectangles, whatever it is. They can also edit this edit each specific vertex, add vertexes in between. They can move the entire shape. They can cut holes in polygons. They can, of course, remove the polygon. So all of these drawing and editing features are there. And one product I'm currently thinking about, I'm just collecting feedback, I've not built it yet, is a pro version of that that has even more advanced drawing and editing features. Something like some companies need need to have polygons that are adjacent to each other and cover a complete area like a city and they have maybe 100 or 200 polygons that make up the city so let's think of it like sales territories or something like this and there there should not be an overlap or a hole between these polygons so they need to stick together now they can do this already with the open source library that i'm providing but if they want to change the shape of one polygon they would have to change all of the adjacent polygons as well which is quite a lot of work and i could build a tool for example where you just draw a new border and it automatically calculates the the new size of each of those polygons and adapts it because you basically tell them hey I don't want any overlap and I don't want any hole in it. And these are such advanced niche drawing tools that require weeks and months of work to build that I want to wait if people or if companies need this. And um, I'm thinking about providing basically a pro version of the open source library. So that means I have the open source library that I could constantly maintain for basic drawing and editing needs. I wouldn't say it's basic, it's quite advanced already. 
Um, then we have really advanced tools where I think a pro version of the library would be helpful for some companies. And then we have the, the, the second bucket of companies that don't build their, own, build their own application. They just want a way to easily um, have a service like MailChimp, for example, instead of managing email, they want to manage geospatial data. So they want a service where they can create data, where they can put data in through an API and where all the teams and clients and apps can fetch the data again. And this is where the SaaS applications comes in and it's called a Geoman basically. And there you have a studio where you have your map or you can create multiple maps like projects. And then you create, for example, one map that displays your supercharger network. You have one map that displays your sales territories or your parking spots. You can create one map that displays airlines, routes, whatever it is, whatever your data is. And for me, the powerful thing that would solve a lot of problems inside companies is you can draw this, any user can draw this. It can be a working student that creates parking spots, uh, for example, in a city. Then you have your developers that not only consume the data, but they can write the data through the API and it's updated everywhere um, on every consumer. And you can attach the metadata to it to, to put everything in. So, so to summarize, there's Geoman, the application, which is where somebody can draw shapes or add data, probably import data from something mm -hmm. like say a CSV or an API or something like exactly. that. And then if you had an application that wanted to consume the data, Geoman itself has an API for people to get data back out. Exactly. And then Geoman Leaflet is the Leaflet plugin that you built and use within the Geoman application. Exactly. And it's, uh, it's open source for anyone that wants to build basically their own application to manage geodata. And um, yeah, so I got asked a lot, for example, why do I open source this? Because it's, it, it seems like it's one of the best plugins out there. Like I don't want to say anything false here. I'm, I'm not sure about that. But users tell me they switch to it, for example, from other libraries. And I also haven't seen other libraries that provide the same functionality. So it's one of the more advanced ones. And people ask me, why do I open source this? Why, it's not, why is it not part of the Geoman suite that makes it uh, a reason for people to use? And the reason is simply that I know that Geoman will not cover all use cases that are out there. People need very specific needs in geodata. And um, I like open source. I love contributing to it. I love the interaction with the community. And it's I think it's a great open source product. I personally benefit a lot from open source as well, specifically with Leaflet. And uh, I thought Geoman as a platform can be a way for me to earn money and invest more time into the open source product that I can then give back again. You know what I mean? So open source, I've maintained this library for four years now. I have not earned a single euro with it and uh, it costs a lot of time and I feel bad if I don't maintain it for a month or something. Um, but if, if the platform is successful, then I have more time to develop it, right? There is a, like a, it, it, it serves multiple purposes, not only for me personally, but also I can maintain the library much better, add much more features for anyone that wants to build their own own application with the open source tools. Very cool. So hopefully at some point you'll get to spend more time uh, in your day job working on Geoman and working on Geoman Leaflet. Would love to, yeah. Cool. 
to start wrapping up, for people who are learning Leaflet, are there common mistakes you see people make or suggestions you have for people who are, are learning Leaflet now? Yeah, so if you if you go through the docs and and use you know the standard Stack Overflow <laughs> tools that that we all use every day, uh, you will get quite far. What I see a lot, especially if you use frameworks and beginners with Leaflet, they struggle sometimes to make this mental distinction between these two universes, these two ecosystems. So if you use a reactive framework like React, Vue, Angular, just know that leaflet itself is not is not part of that you you create you interact with the dom directly as mentioned before so don't expect like this reactivity this you just provided something and everything you know changes uh, on the map this is something where i see a lot of questions happening then on the other hand the business side so think of the think of leaflet and mapping like they provide you the tools to display a map and data on top of it but the business logic behind it like um, how do you store it in what data format are i want this tile to be read if it's overlapping something else this kind of stuff you have to build yourself or use a plugin for it like it, it it won't create business logic for you it's basically a dumb way of rendering data not that dumb but i hope you get what i mean right you have business logic that is specific to you and you have to build this yourself so the library will not do this out of the box for you so i see these questions a lot also on the open source repository where people just expect expected to do things but they can easily do this in three lines of codes they just haven't wrapped their head around yet what exactly is leaflet doing for you and what not so if you have any kind of business logic this should happen when this course this is something you you have to build yourself and it's honestly quite easy but if you have any questions uh, I'm I'm happy to help not only for my open source library I'm on Twitter and everywhere so I'm happy to help out cool are there any specific projects that people should look at if they're trying to learn how an application should be laid out in Leaflet? So there are multiple demo projects for basically all the plugins that are demo projects and also for Leaflet itself. You can look at, at geoman.io, which is quite the, let's say, more advanced use case, I would say, um, how you, yeah, what map functionality you can add uh, to a map. And everything from Uber, of course, is, is very, advanced and especially in data visualization they have amazing tools and it's all open source also so if you use at the demo pages if you look at the demo pages from uber and from mapbox uh, you will get a sense of of where it can go and then i would personally just look into the dom and 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 see what they do and how they do it maybe they have an open source repository where i can take a look and also for example, if you want to write your own plugin with Leaflet, look at the look at the open source code. That's how I started. Like I had no idea how to create a plugin for Leaflet or how to manage geospatial data. Like I, I, I just didn't know. All I had was I needed functionality that no plugin had. So I Leaflet Draw was back then the only one. I basically scanned their code, looked how they do it, um, tried to recreate it, and then built my own architecture with it. But it was very similar in the beginning, the code. So just look, that's what open source is there for. Look into the code, learn from that, 
clone it, adapt it, um, and and grow from there. How about in terms of like a full application, like you're mentioning to look at, say, Geoman.io, but Geoman itself is not actually open no. source, is it? No. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not sure uh, where, where to look there. Um, mm -hmm. What I do sometimes, okay, you have stuff like GeoJSON.io. It's a small utility to to edit GeoJSON. I've built the same on, on Geoman.io, but yeah, it's a different one from Mapbox. And this is open source. It's a small uh, application that, yeah, that you can take a look at. What I can also recommend is if you, for example, you want to create a leaflet map and you don't know how, the demos are not enough for you, you want to see some real use cases with React, for example. What I do is I use the advanced search functionality on GitHub. So I look at who uses leaflet and who uses React. And maybe I search for the inception code from leaflet and um, filter by it. And then you find a lot of applications that basically use it like this. And then I scan around and try to find someone that uses the same stack as me and how they do it. And this gives me a lot of inspiration. Yeah, that, that's a great tip, not just for leaflet, but for any time you're trying to learn a new library. Yeah. yeah, it's really helpful. Yeah, the GitHub search functionality is underrated, I think, in that sense. Cool. Well, before we finish up, is there anything that you think we should have mentioned or should have talked about? I think we had a quite an awesome overview, I think. There is not, not much to mention. If you are into, into uh, geospatial data or if you have the prop to solve the problem uh, for your company um, or a client or whatever, I think it's, it's quite an interesting field. Uh, it's, it's quite niche also, but yeah, the user experience is, is amazing and you have such a big impact if you, if you build something nice um, on top of maps. And of course, it's a field that is very, very future-proof. It doesn't matter if we're talking drones, autonomous vehicles, sales, like everything in the mobility sector specifically, but everything around us needs more and more location data because everything is connected. And I think it's a field where you as a developer, if you have these skills, are very good equipped for the future. So don't hesitate to get into it and code a bit around it. Uh, I don't think you will regret it. Cool. And for people who want to follow you or see what's going on with Geoman, uh, where should they go? So uh, I'm on too many platforms, I say, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm active, very active on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Tweets of Summit. There I'm the most active. So if there is anything uh, you would like to ask or if you want to follow me and, you know, see where Geoman is going, the open source library or also even how to create a business, like I'm not an expert in it, I just share my journey. Uh, I will share everything on, on Twitter. And if I have, a, for example, a YouTube video or even a, a guest appearance on a podcast like this one, um, I will share everything there. So I think that is the, that is the best way. And of course, you can go to my website, which is raum.sh. Raum is a German word, Raum for a room. Raum.sh is, is my personal website where I also post occasional updates here and there. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Sumit. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. It was nice talking to you. Thanks for listening to SE Radio, an educational program brought to you by IEEE Software Magazine. For more about the podcast, including other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. To provide feedback, you can comment on each episode on the website or reach us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, 
or through our Slack channel at seradio.slack.com. You can also email us at team at sc-radio.net. This and all other episodes of SE Radio is licensed under Creative Commons License 2.5. Thanks for listening.